Hey everyone, AJ here, pastor of Life Groups and Discipleship, and today we are concluding our Sacred Selfie series, talking about identity. We're talking about Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 today, and so with that, let's go deeper. Well, we've made it to the end of the Sacred Selfie series, going over Colossians 3, 17 sitting across from me is none other than pastor danny strange for the what third or fourth straight week i know wow (laughs) thanks for having me back again yeah so let's jump right into it i actually want to start reading from verse 15 and you'll see why in the question but uh let's just remind our listeners where we're at verse 15 let the peace of christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And then verse 17 comes and says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So you might be asking, how can we create a whole podcast episode with just one verse, tiny verse? But um, yeah, there's a lot to dig into with what is being said here in verse 17. And I think the first part that I want to break apart is um, the beginning section of this. Um, If you look into the Greek language, uh, this phrase starts with kai pan, kai pan, and and everything, and everything, pawn being that key word that I want you to recognize here. And then it goes into whatever you do, and everything, whatever you do, and then again, it's, it mentions panta, which is the same word, uh, root word there being used, pawn, do it all, do everything, whether word or deed, logos, ergon. So all these things are just shouting at you, Everything, everything, whether word or deed, logos or ergon, everything, everything. It's almost like he's repeating uh, these words in the same way he repeated thankfulness last week. He's now just bringing everything into the picture. And I think it's pretty interesting based on the previous passages because it seemed like in verses 15 to 16, he was talking about things that you would often see in a church setting, you know, um, letting the, the message of Christ uh, meno or dwell or abide in you richly as you teach, admonish, singing psalms as we talked about last week. Um, and now he's just wrapping everything as we're saying here. And so I look at my life, Pastor Danny, and I'm wondering, everything? <laughs> really? Like everything? Does he really mean everything here? And he, he you know, prefaces this phrase everything with these two important words, Logos and ergon, word and deed. And so my question is, how do you, how can you help us think better about what Paul means by everything? And how does logos and ergon help us think through this really well? On one hand, everything means everything. Yeah. <laughs> so if Paul is painting a picture of us doing everything in the world in the name of Jesus, like that is a beautiful picture. But at the same time, Paul uses this language I can think of off the top of my head three different times in the New Testament, twice here in Colossians 3, to kind of talk about everything, but not like as a blanket statement of everything universal, but within a context he's talking about. 
right? So in later in this chapter, he's talking about different uh, setups we have in, wor- in the world, whether it's in marriage or in vocation, those types of things. And then he says, whatever you do, uh, do it with all your heart, right? And so he's saying, hey, we're talking about your calling in life. And even if I, you don't me- meet one of these three categories we're talking about, let's expand that a little bit. Whatever you're called to do, do it with all your heart, right? Or in 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking about uh, dietary laws and food sacrifice to idols, these different kinds of things and getting caught in the weeds. And then he says, okay, well, whatever you, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, something like that. Um, and so he's taking this context of eating and drinking and saying, well, let's expand this. We're not just talking about food sacrificed in the temple, but all types of food, all types of drink. Let's not forget at a higher level, everything is called not just this very narrow thing we're talking about here. And so in this passage where we are, verses 15 through 17, he is talking about living our lives for the glory of God Mm -hmm. in the name of Jesus, like you said, specifically within the context of the church. And so we have this idea of caring for one another well and loving each other and letting the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace exist and having the word dwell in us. And then he kind of takes our heads up like he does in these other times and says, hey, but not just in the church community, but in everything, let's, let's live out these same values. And he uses, like you said, these two words, logos and ergon, your words and your deeds, which again, could be a blanket statement. Everything you do comes out of your mouth, comes out of your life. But I think too ties back to the context because you look at these verses preceding and we see that most of what he's talking about are words and deeds. He's talking about taking the the words of our faith and encapsulating them in hymns and songs and spiritual songs, using our mouths to glorify God. But he's also talking about our behaviors, how we bear with one another and let the peace of Christ rule among us as we do these things. And so we've been talking in this whole chapter about behaviors, putting off, putting on stuff and our words, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And now he's kind of making it more universal and saying, hey, but it doesn't really just matter the words you use at church and the behaviors you put on in the Christian community. Don't forget that even outside in the world, outside the doors of the church, your words and your works matter there as well. We've been talking a lot about um philosophy and kind of that background that Paul brings into things. And uh, I think logos is one of those key words in philosophy that gets thrown around a lot. I think of John 1 in the beginning was the logos, the word. And then you have this word ergon too. Is there anything that we should know about in this going deeper podcast about um, what's going on, why he uses these two words, logos and ergon? Yeah, these words do come together a lot. Uh, Logos uh, talks about like the essential nature of something and ergon is kind of the essential function of something. And so if it's, you've got an ax, it has a nature and its function is to cut stuff, right? And so there's a, a nature and a function. We see that, like you said, in John one, where Jesus in his very nature is God himself. And yet the logos became flesh, the, the nature of God put flesh on. And so Jesus is, you may have heard people say, uh, right. God with skin on or God with flesh and bones. That's Jesus, the embodied truth. That's what John is trying to make. And so the one of the biggest places Logos is used is translated words because words are embodied truth. Mm. And so I think there is a distinction. There's two words for for words in the New Testament, Rhema and Logos. Rhema normally just means the words that come out of our mouth. And Logos is really more of a, a higher level concept that means kind of the embodiment, like the truth packet that emerges. And so I think Matthew 12 is a chapter where Jesus says, we're going to be judged by every careless word, every uh, 
a careless rhema that comes out of our mouth, like these babblings that come out. Mm -hmm. And then he says, but your words will condemn you or your words will justify you. And that's the word logos, where he's kind of saying, hey, the packet, the reasonable packet of truth that comes out of your mouth over the course of your life, that's what you'll be judged on. And so logos is kind of the essential nature of what overflows from our heart in Jesus' teaching and comes out of our mouth over the course of our life. And our works, uh, our erga, are the things that we produce, that we do. And so Jesus uses the word fruit a lot when he talks about both of these things. He talks in Matthew 12 about our words being the fruit of our heart. And in uh, other places in the Gospels, talks about our works being the fruit of our lives. And so I think this connects a little bit with philosophy and a little bit with the teachings of Jesus, that if we look at the two major categories of fruit that emerges from a transformed life, you're going to look at a person's words, kind of their their defense for why they exist um, or what they're about. And you're going to look at their works, the, the fruit that is produced at their hands. Um, so what we do with our lives and what overflows out of our hearts from our mouths, what we're known by. Yeah, and it kind of encapsulates that what Paul's trying to capture here with everything going on. It, it almost seems like your, your lifestyle. And then it says, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And you mentioned this on Sunday. And I think it's one of those things that gets thrown around a lot. This phrase in the name of the Lord Jesus, we'll do, you know, whatever it is in the name of the Lord Jesus and we'll do it. Um, but I wonder how many people out there have not stop to reflect on what this phrase actually insinuates. And, you know, I appreciated looking at your sermon notes every Sunday and um, you had this as the sort of gospel key aha moment, meaning like when you understand what this phrase really truly means, it sort of unlocks something in our hearts. And so looking across the New Testament, we'll see this phrase in the name of the Lord Jesus used in different healings, in baptism, in preaching, discipline, and even exorcisms, which Hollywood would affirm, you know, I can imagine the crucifix in the name of the Lord Jesus mm -hmm. come out. Um, but they're all done quote in the name of Jesus end quote. And so I'm interested if we can help our listeners unpack of what do we mean when we say in the name of the Lord Jesus and how does that help unlock this gospel truth in us? Yeah, that phrase, in the name of the Lord Jesus, all the different use cases that you described there, AJ, are uh, related to God's authority and his power. Both the authority and power are very similar. I think the word exousia in Greek means authority or power. It's the same word. Uh, and so really it's the power of Jesus flowing through you in those moments when you exercise a demon, when you bring healing to someone in, these, in the book of Acts or um, these different places where we see people claim that. So I think part of it is a reminder that these things he's calling us to do are things that need to be done in the power of Jesus. And so uh, I was thinking as I was studying this message about the uh, the the man in the book of Acts who's trying to cast out demons in the name mm -hmm. of Paul who Jesus preaches. Hmm. And the demon speaks to the man and says, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but who are you, right? What <laughs> You're calling on this authority, but we also don't know who you are. And so I think part of it is this, this is not just a mantra that any human being can say in the name of the Lord Jesus, but it's some sort of, it has to be tied into an affiliation we have with Jesus. And in this passage, the most notable thing is he's not talking about exorcisms and healings. He's talking about everything in everything you do. And so I think the bigger question is, what does it mean to take this representative, uh, authoritative power of Jesus 
and take it into our speech and take it into our actions in our everyday lives inside and outside the church. And I think that's where, if we're going to spend any time wrestling mentally as individuals on this, that's where I'd love for us to think is, okay, we know what it might mean to go up to a a person who's in a coma and say, in the name of Jesus, wake up. But what does it mean to talk to your kids around the dinner table in the name of Jesus? What does it mean to go to church and serve in the name of Jesus or go to your kid's soccer team um, and be a, a mom, a team mom or a team dad or a coach in the name of Jesus when it doesn't feel as spectacular, when it doesn't feel like anyone's going to get miraculously healed from it. But the essence of this is the same. This is why Paul is saying in everything, in all your words, in all your deeds, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I think part of the reminder that Paul is giving us here is that when we walk into anything in this world as believers who are partnering with Christ in this life, we do represent him. We do embody him in a sense. Like he, we have union with him. We've been talking about in this passage and his power flows through us to do mighty things through the packets of truth that come out of our mouth or through the packets of action that come out of our lives. He can work powerfully through even the simplest tasks as we are mindful of that and do it not in our own name, not for our own glory, not in our own power, our own strength, in our own reputation, but in relationship with him as his representatives in his power and for his name's sake, we do all the things we do outside the doors of the church and inside as well. As you're talking, I'm thinking about um, just how challenging some of those things that you listed are, you know, going out and being a representative in this broken world, in this community. And, you know, especially now where it's like people aren't receptive to that. And this is bringing up the the skeptical bone in my body, uh, thinking about a skeptic question. Um, you know, why couldn't all of this just stop with my personal belief? You know, Jesus becomes my personal Lord and Savior. And, you know, why can't it just stop there? And, you know, I get all of this about like living well on this earth, but like really, what's the point? You know, um, you know, my life, as we've been saying, is hidden with Christ, like it's me and him. And I await this like heavenly existence in the future where everything's going to be good. Um, and it seems like anyway, in the end times, like this earth is going to get destroyed. So like whatever I put my hands to now, it doesn't matter because there's like a new heaven and a new earth. And, you know, thinking of Ecclesiastes now, like um, I could build something, you know, great in the name of the Lord Jesus and like the next generation might just destroy it all anyway. That's what the author of Ecclesiastes would, would argue. So my question is like, man, it just seems so hard to do this, to represent Christ, to be, to do things in the name of Jesus, especially against a culture that is just like, doesn't want any of that. So like, what's the, what's the point of focusing on our outward logos and ergon in this world? Um, when maybe in the end, it's just like my relationship with God. That's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter how I live. Yeah. Two responses to that. One would be, I think all of us have a logos and ergon that emanates from our lives. And the reason I know this, two reasons, there's two reasons for my two reasons. Two reasons. One <laughs> is, you know, we look back, we you know, look, maybe look back at our parents right? and whoever raised us, I would guess that as, especially if our parents are passed away and so we have like this encapsulated view of, of who they are, who they were, generally we have this picture of our parents' influence in our lives through 
kind of the motifs of the words that they used, whether they had things they said all the time or kind of just the encapsulation of all the truth they shared with us, including some of the careless words that they spoke that impacted us in negative or positive deep ways. Um, and then just kind of the sum total of all of their actions, right? And so we look back at our parents and we kind of remember them by what their actions were like in this world, what their words were, and that was the encapsulation of a person. And so each of us has that. Each of us has a, a logos. Each of us has an ergon that emanates from our lives. And many of us spend our, this is the second part of that, many of us spend our lives really trying hard to cultivate that. What are my kids going to remember about me? What? How am I going to impact them? We feel guilty because I don't share this or that enough with my children. I said that mean word to my kids. Oh, I just lost my temper again. Or my kids are just going to remember me as the guy who went to work all the time. I don't want to be remembered by my work, but by a different type of works, like my presence with them. I want them to remember these things. We create meaningful memories with our kids to try to create this erga that they can take with them into the world and look back and say, oh, my dad's the one who took me to those baseball games, whatever it was. So that, that is, we are known to our descendants by our logos and by our ergon. And so one of the things that Paul is just simply doing is saying, why don't you co-create with Christ what your logos and your ergon is going to be? Why don't you co-create with him and let his name be remembered in you, not your own name. Let his deeds flow from your mm -hmm. body, not your own. So really it's inviting Christ into the legacy that you leave on this on this earth. I think that other half of the question you asked, the second part is is hard too, but, but yeah, my great grandkids aren't even gonna remember my name, right? So what do you, what do, you do with that? Um, and I think that's true. There's a humility that comes from an ecclesiastical view of uh, looking at the world. But at the same time, right, we talked earlier about these things are the fruit of our lives, according to Jesus. And in that same passage in John 15, he says, I have come that you may bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so when we think of fruit, you think of grapes, Jesus, or olives, right? Uh, and you think about grapes, olives on the vine. Like if they sit there on the vine, they go rotten, they're gross. And, you know, a generation, they're back to dirt again. But when Jesus says fruit that will last, whether he's talking about grapes like vines and branches or olives on the olive tree, on the Mount of Olives, you know, when he's talking about these things, there is a way to take this fruit and make it last forever, right? Grapes become wine. Wine is cellared and ages well over time, right? Olives can be pressed into olive oil and can last in that sense. And so Jesus is giving this picture of, hey, when you abide in me and I abide in you, the works that I do through you are not going to fade. They're not going to perish. They're not going to spoil the works I do through you like a fine wine or like olive oil, right? Whatever fruit analogy you use um, can be bottled and last for generations in the cellar, right? Um, and we get a picture of that too in Paul's epistles when he talks about uh, wood, hay, and straw versus, I might mix this up with the three little pigs, but wood, hay, and straw <laughs> versus like the gold and precious stones and all that, right? That when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, where we learn this week, we'll be judged by every careless word, we'll be judged by the deeds done in the body, but when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, all of the works done in the flesh will burn like straw, but everything done through Christ's power in us will last, not just in this world for generations, but for for eternity. And so it's, if you have part of the sum total of your life is that you have kids who follow, find and follow Jesus or grandkids who find and follow Jesus or disciples in the church who find and follow Jesus or members of your small group who are impacted for eternity, you're going to stand in heaven with Jesus and look around and think, okay, yeah, maybe the ergon of my career and my money is gone, but the ergon of the work I did in the body for Jesus, with Jesus, and in the name of Jesus that lasted the test of eternal time. Mm -hmm. And so I do think 
yeah, you can keep your faith to yourself and you'll live in heaven forever and be content that I had this faith. Or you can partner with Jesus in the body and use your words and use your works to bring his presence into this earth. And you will see, I would say not merely with human souls, but most uh, specifically with human souls, an example of fruit that lasts, of Jesus' work through you that changes not just this world, but the world to come. That imagery is so beautiful of just standing before the throne and uh, the works of the flesh burning like chaff and then the works done through the power of Jesus standing firm for eternity. That's such a beautiful imagery. And I think it leads directly into this next question that I've got. It, it seems like scoping through Colossians 3 um, that Paul is making an argument that, you know, Jesus is the one thing that's going to last for eternity. He is at the center of everything. And uh, one of the the uh, commentaries that I read in preparation for this podcast uh, said that Paul is advocating for something called pan Christology. Now, if you were listening to the earlier of this episode, wow. you would know what pan means, right? Everything Christology, meaning all Christ, like Christ is all in all. And, um, yeah, I think this is sort of the argument that he's been making from the beginning in the book of Colossians. And I just wanted to read Colossians 1, 15 to 20, uh, just to kind of get an image of what Paul is trying to do and how this kind of carries through throughout the book of Colossians. So Colossians 1 verse 15 says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, which we talked a little bit about in the January uh, portion of the series. For in him, all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Hopefully you caught my emphasis of all, all and things. everything. <laughs> but um, I want to ask a question based off this pan Christology, um, because as Paul transitions to talking about doing everything, this logos and erga um, in the name of the Lord Jesus, you would figure that he would start talking about the Holy Spirit. You know, that's like the one thing I'm waiting for him to get to, because, you know, in Romans eight or Galatians five, that's where he goes. He says, like, keep in step with the spirit, do all these things in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet we don't see him turn that corner here. And so as we prepare to, to leave Colossians 3, um, I wanted to ask you, what do you think Paul is trying to do by, you know, giving us this pan Christology before he even takes a step into talking about this Holy Spirit concept going on? Yeah, it's interesting. You look at Colossians and I think the word pneuma spirit is used twice. Yeah. One time it's a capital S in chapter one uh, that says, oh, maybe he's talking about the Holy Spirit there. I don't know if he is, though, because it seems a lot like the other time where he's saying, hey, I, I'm absent with you in body, but I'm present with you in spirit. Right. So like if we're studying, doing a word study, we'd say hey, Paul's use of pneuma in Colossians seems to only be limited to like our own like spirit within us, like not he's even talking about the Holy Spirit. And yet Paul alludes to the Holy Spirit in Colossians in ways where it feels like he's 
it feels like he's giving effort to keep the spirit anonymous. Right. Hmm. And so he talks about in it, uh, an earlier chapter versus chapter two, he talks about the gospel and he talks about in, in Jesus, in him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then it says this, you've been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And in other places, when Paul says the exact sentence, he talks about the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead also lives in you in these amazing chapters where it's like the spirit, the spirit, the spirit, the spirit. But here he's talking about the Holy Spirit, but it's like he doesn't use his name (laughs) and we don't know why. Um, But like you said, I, I think part of it is Paul is an author writing a letter on purpose. And the major purpose of Colossians is to show the preeminence of Jesus Christ above all things. And so... I, the spirit is not in competition with Jesus. He's not trying to say Jesus is better than the Holy Spirit, but it, for whatever reason, based on his audience, his purpose, uh, he is narrowing in and focusing in on the work and person of Jesus Christ, right? The logos and ergon of Jesus Christ, person and work of Jesus uh, throughout the entire letter. And so the spirit is there if you read between the lines. Um, and yet throughout this letter, it seems like he's really more answering the question who is Jesus? What is the role of Jesus in the identity of the believer? And how do we partner with Jesus in living lives on God's mission? And doesn't see fit, right? In a Galatians where he's talking about the dead works of the law or in Romans where he's talking about uh, what the law was powerless to do um, and says the spirit is the answer to that question. That's not the question he's answering in Colossians. And so, yeah, for whatever reason, uh, Colossians is a book about Jesus and the spirit is alluded to and referred to, but not by name. I guess we'll have to settle for uh, songs from the spirit, huh? <laughs> yeah. Singing songs Spiritual from the spirit. Song, was that Numa, Numa Taki or something? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Spiritual songs, yes. <laughs> is that from the spirit or like, yeah, spiritual like we use it? Yeah. So Hidden in plain sight throughout the book of Colossians. <laughs> That's another series. Yeah. The anonymous Holy Spirit in Colossians. He's there, neither seen nor heard. <laughs> Danny, we have come to the end. We did it. So this is like what? January through, where are we at? March 28th or something. January right. through March. Wow. Sacred We've been in a selfie. series. Sacred selfie. Completely. Image of God. Identity. We went through it all. And I want to end it with something you talked about last week. You said giving thanks and gratitude was mentioned here three times. Mm. And it was sort of interwoven into these passages. And our text today ends with giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. And last week, I asked, uh, what were you thankful about um, looking at the broad scope of everything that you've seen in ministry here? I want to focus that to this series. What are you thankful for uh, in doing this sacred selfie series? How have you seen the Lord work in these messages? Because I know they've been super relevant. They've been um, really life-giving in a lot of places. I uh, just want to get your take on the overall scope of this sacred selfie series. I think for me, the the thing that's been most energizing is I've uh, talked to folks about what God's doing in our midst as we walk through these topics is kind of discovering truth about who we are in Christ and what that means for who we are in this world in a way that is the word I keep using with folks as we talk about this is, is in a way that's reasonable. I think a lot of, a lot of times we feel like, Oh yeah, well we know what Christians believe and it's kind of silly, but we believe these things, right? Or we, yeah, yeah. I I know what the Bible says. I mean, it seems a little old fashioned, but like 
that's what it says. So we're going to, God said it, I believe it. I guess that settles it. Um, and, and I think what, what we've seen God do in this series is as we've talked about these core aspects of who we are, I think what we've discovered is what God reveals about us and, and our own logos, right? Our own nature, our essence uh, is actually, it makes more sense than what we learn out in the real world, mm. right? I think of a few weeks back, we talked about gender, male, female, uh, essence, relationship, kind of the genre of species that we are, of the human species. And as I walk through that message and talk to folks afterwards and wrestle through it in my own heart of what we were going to say, how we're going to take it, the biggest thing I walked away with is thinking, man, what God reveals about gender is not merely helpful. It's also more reasonable, rational, natural, easier to understand than what we learn in the world, where it's just a lot of these different identity markers that we feel like are so important in our world today end up being these big question marks of like, okay, I, I guess I'm a man, but I don't even know what that means. What is masculinity? What's What makes a man different than a woman? I, I don't know, but I know it's really important. And then you go to the teachings of the church through the scriptures and you realize not just that God has an answer to those questions, but he has an answer that makes sense. And it makes sense unlike the answers we get in the world outside our doors. And so I think what's been most energizing to me that I'm most grateful for is that God gives us a faith that is reasonable, that the, the Bible says that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. But at the same time, we also see in the scriptures that when, I think of Paul, as he presents the gospel in Acts 17 in Athens, in a very different culture of his own, he uses philosophy, he uses reason, he uses rationality, and he presents a case for Christianity that some people say, oh, that's silly. But other people say, there's something about that that just makes more sense than the worldview that I brought up on Mars Hill with me today. And, and I think that's what's been most exciting to me and I've been most grateful for is uh, tapping into some of these aspects of Christianity that help us make sense of the world outside our doors, not just because now we know what the Bible says about it, but now it's like our eyes are open to say, oh, now I know what role my work has in my life. Now I know what I've created to be. Now I know what it means for me to be a man of God or a woman of God. Now I know it makes more sense. And so um, I think that's what I'm most grateful for uh, is just a rational look at who we are in Christ and what that means for who we are in this world. Yeah. And I think I would add my own experience to that, you know, coming into this series, kind of having that like tinge of like, oh man, like the Bible says that, like, I got to have some conversations with people about this, but then like coming out of this series and then like, man, not only does it make sense, but it's good. Mm -hmm. Like it's really good that, and brings flourishing to people that we live into the, some of these things that, um, our world is like trying to deconstruct one by one. And, uh, yeah, we come with a message of goodness and, and it's the good news. It's the gospel and Jesus speaks right through it. And, you know, um, I think that's what I'm going to take away is just this, these foundational elements that are just bring flourishing to humanity and that are, that are good. Mm. And so, um, speaking of good, we got some good stuff ahead of we us do. right here. And so I wanted to ask if you would give us a sneak peek, what's behind this sacred selfie series. We know we got a really big season that we'd like to invite a lot of people up to for, and then, uh, maybe some uh, series, upcoming series that we've got planned. I know if you've been listening to the podcast from the beginning, you know that our focus this year is going to be identity. And so we're building a lot of our material off of that. And then, um, yeah, I'll leave it at that and then maybe give you a sneak peek after you're done of what's in the future for this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We're excited. We, 
we're going to take a pause on series for a couple of weeks because Easter is uh, upon us. And so uh, Holy Week at our church launches with Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday, if you're not a, a church uh, person, is a uh, a day that we celebrate Jesus as the King coming into uh, Jerusalem. And so we're going to talk about worship. We're going to talk about celebration. And so our uh, creative arts pastor, Ian Pitter is going to speak on, on Palm Sunday and talk about what it means to be a worshipful people. Good Friday is the kind of the, the end of Holy week in terms of like the, we expected after Palm Sunday, Jesus would be crowned King, but on good Friday, he's put to death on the cross. And so we'll, we'll gather for a good Friday service. It'll feel a lot like a, a beautiful, uh, memorial service for Jesus. It'll be a sad, somber, beautiful time, um, which sets the, the table for celebration on resurrection Sunday. So Easter Sunday, um, we'll be talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So that do not miss Easter Sunday. What time uh, is that? That's Easter Sunday, 6am under the crosses and then nine and 11am inside, um, the main worship center here at the church. And so don't miss Easter. Yeah. You're going to uh, want to be there. No, so. if you're like, ah, I've never been to church. Here's a pro tip. People who are new to church go on Christmas Eve and Easter. So start there. Um, Easter's coming. And then after Easter, we start a new series uh, that actually Miguel Ramirez, who runs our our Three Crosses Espanol ministry, um, envisioned for us. And it's a great one. We're going to walk through talking about the transformed identity in the life of Paul, that Paul goes from someone who's murdering Christians to someone who's willing to give up his life for his faith as a Christian. And we're going to talk about his journey of transformation and what God taught him along the way. So we're going to do that um, up until the last week of May, Memorial Day. We'll kind of end that series. So so come on back, start plugging in. This is a good time to plug in at church and catch up on the podcast because we got some great stuff coming up in here too. Yeah. So first of all, thank you for listening out there. Uh, I know we've talked behind the scenes and like we have grown very fond of doing this podcast together. Uh, it's been a lot of fun talking about these concepts. Uh, we want to keep doing it and uh, we pray that you out there have benefited from it. If you have, let us know. AJ at threecrosses.org is my email. That's uh, a new email, guys. AJ at threecrosses.org. Scratch my AJ. last name. Just go no, to AJ. Nobody can spell Venegas. <laughs> AJ at, how do you spell AJ? Uh, a j at three crosses.org <laughs> so much easier but yeah we'd love to hear from you we'd love to hear um ideas at this point uh the next idea that we've had is to add a visual component so we can invite Ooh. you guys in to our conversations so that you can see that danny and i hardly look at each other know, th this, this gonna be the hardest part is making <laughs> eye contact while we talk <laughs> so we're gonna do that we're gonna add some more visual components to our podcast um hopefully we'll stay consistent with adding the the audio but hey youtube there's a big platform there that um a lot of people are searching for bay area churches and we'll be able to find some of our content uh through that and um, be welcomed into these conversations and if you like watching us uh, it'll be fun oh come on up you can be part of our studio audience oh man aj3crosses.org like... to, <laughs> to get tickets now no <laughs> <laughs> so man i've been so thankful and grateful for doing this and so pastor danny thank you for coming up thank you for everybody um on our staff that have sat in thank you for listening and so pastor danny that's a wrap for That's sacred selfies. That's a wrap selfies. for sacred selfies. Thanks for listening. Yeah.